Welcome back to another episode of the CSK8 Podcast. My name is Jared O'Leary. Each episode of this podcast alternates between solo episodes where I unpack scholarship in relation to computer science education, and episodes with a guest or multiple guests where we discuss a variety of topics related to computer science education. In this week's particular episode, I'm interviewing Dominic Sanders, and we discuss the importance of connecting with and listening to students, the impact of being a positive role model for kids, considering equity for individuals and across the entire state of South Carolina, what Dominic learned through their experience with Exposure STEM, Dominic's plan for improving CS in South Carolina, Dominic's experience with CSTA's Equity Fellowship, how Dominic continues to learn and grow as a CS educator, and thinking through intersectionality in relation to representation. As with each of the podcasts, you can access the show notes by clicking the link in the description for the app that you're listening to this on, or simply going to jaredoleary.com. Inside the show notes, you'll find some links to many of the topics that we're discussing, including some other podcasts that I mentioned, or to learn more about something like the CST Equity Fellowship that we mentioned at the end of the podcast, or to even connect with Dominic on Twitter or LinkedIn. At jaredoleary.com, you'll also find hundreds if not thousands of resources that are relevant to CS educators, including free lesson plans that I created for boot up, and some presentations, publications, etc. that are relevant to CS educators. All of it's free, so if you enjoy it, I just ask that you might consider sharing it with somebody else. And if you enjoyed this particular episode and want to recommend a guest, including yourself, or do you like to potentially partner on some future grant collaborations, feel free to click the Contact Me button on my website, as I'm always interested in collaborating and learning from others. But with all that being said, we will now begin the interview with Dominic introducing himself. Hello, everyone. My name is Dominic Sanders. I am the current computer science state supervisor for the state of South Carolina. Prior to this, I was a computer science educator in Nashville, Tennessee, and I am also a CSTA, so Computer Science Teacher Association Equity Fellow. And I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri. Can you tell me the story of how you got into computer science education? Ironically, my dad actually has a computer science degree, but it really wasn't until probably around the sixth grade. I was a part of the National Society of Black Engineers, so they had a pre-college initiative, formerly known as like Nesby Junior. So just being in that program and being around like like-minded individuals kind of sparked my interest into the field of just like computer science and engineering. So even though I was kind of exposed to it at home, but my dad used to talk about it, it wasn't really that cool because I was like, no, dad, like definitely not. People are going to think I'm following your footsteps and we're total opposites, but ironically, I, you know, pursued computer science, but yeah, it wasn't until I really got into that organization and really got my feet wet with like programming and everything else that came along with it. So, and what made you decide to go into CS education rather than just CS? So actually that was in college. So I was always tutoring, doing a lot of extracurricular activities. I was always like being around people. And then like everybody's like, oh, yeah, you're very good at like explaining things. And you're very good. Like because of you, like I, you know, did better math or because of you, I thought about you. And I really want to now pursue computer science. So I just felt like it was like an easy um, segue. And then also, I think the light bulb went off one time when I was at church when I had my pastor was talking about like finding your passion. He was like, you know, it's your passion when like you try to like steer yourself in like other directions and then like you eventually end back to like where your passion is. But then sometimes you don't even recognize this. So you go on another tour, another avenue, and then you end up back in it. And I was like, that's the light bulb right there. So then I'm just stuck with it. Now, I've had a lot of moments in my educational journey that have had like a profound impact on me, whether it was positive or negative. I'm curious if you could tell a story of an experience that you've had in education that had an impact on you. 
Oh man, I've had so many. I think some of my favorite experiences, I guess like changing the narrative of what a African-American male can do. So when you think about like the field of education, there's not a lot of us, like the 2%, everybody always talks about the 2%. And then like when you throw in the like, I'm teaching like computer science, it all, you know, makes it even that much smaller. But then like just seeing like from the first day of school, when people find out that I'm the computer science teacher to like the end of the school year where I have kids that were never even thought about pursuing computer science or even wanted to take like a computer science course to now wanting to be in the class. So I think those are some of my favorite moments because a lot of them just don't really understand like how computer science is everywhere and computer scientists were still everyday people. So then like I would always like coach track or you see me at the basketball games or going to the football games or then like when we had downtime when I still was a classroom teacher talking about sports or talking about, you know, the different things that they like or talking about. We would have like musical debates, like who's a better rapper, who's a better singer, just so they can see that like computer scientists were still like everyday people. So they just think like, oh, computer science or engineering, you're on the, you know, the other side of the planet. Like, oh, we do the same things to you guys. Like, um, I'm curious, how did you try and actively recruit groups that were not represented in your classes that you're in? So just as an example, if you had majority male, a couple of non-binary, but very few females in your class, how might you try and recruit to get more diversity within gender representation? To be honest, I really never had problems like that. I don't know, maybe it's because I was like the African-American male and I was teaching that. So a lot of people were just, you know, so intrigued to be in the class. And then I was one of those teachers that was like very present. So you would see me again at the football games, you would see me at the basketball games, you would see me at the volleyball games. And then just having like those casual conversations, you know, with the kids in the hallway or at the football game, hey, you did good, but you know, last week you told me you're gonna have five tackles and I was out there counting and you know, you maybe came up short. You know, building those different relationships with the students early on and then even still building those relationships with students that weren't in my class when it came time for students to enroll in the class. I never really had like an issue with that. Everybody, Mr. Sanders, I'm trying to get in your class. Is there anything you can do? I was like, I'm not the person to talk to about scheduling. Look, I'm only offering four sections. So you guys knew when the class has started, hey, I may run a little after school STEM club or something like that. You can catch me then. But if you didn't sign up when it first started, then hey, unfortunately, sorry. Catch me next year. That reminds me a lot of Jason Bohr's response as well. So he was also saying that he would go to the various like events that students were at and just kind of talk about computer science and just be present. That presence piece is key. What about something that you first believe when you're working in education that you no longer believe? So what has changed over that trajectory? I think the biggest thing that's probably changed is like kids like really want to learn. So like on the outside looking in, if you have kids that have like, for example, like a behavior issue and you just like, oh, he's just acting out because, you know, he doesn't really want to be in school. No, majority of the kids actually want to be in school. You just have to make sure that you're doing your part to like find the root. And then once you find the root, it's like magic. And those were actually some of my favorite students to work with in the class. They'd be like, oh, yes, he's a behavior problem. He's just, I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, send him to my class. And then maybe after like two or three weeks and then they're in there and rocking down. I was like, what did you do different? Well, I listened to him. Well, when I was giving him examples, I showed him that I cared about them. I showed him that, you know, I believed in them. Not only was I doing that when I was giving the one-on-one instruction, I'm talking to him, making sure that he understands what's going on. 
I'm also giving him examples that I know he can relate to. I know he loves football. I know he loves rapping. Like these are different things. If he loves soccer, if he loves food. So like on a high level, I'm just giving, hey, okay, we're going to be working on project 4.4. And then as I'm walking around, hey, and your project relate yours to football. Think about the different positions. If it's a chicken, if it's making something dealing with like food, think about those different things. And that was kind of how I was able to like relay the message and get those students over the home. I think it always comes back to knowing your kid and then figuring out what computer science really means to them. Like I said, that really goes a long way. Yeah, especially if it's a mandatory class. So like in the K-8 school that I was in, everyone was required to attend it. And because of that, I couldn't assume buy-in. So if it was an elective class, I could assume, oh, well, you chose to be here. You're taking part of this elective class. But when everyone was forced to be in it, there were kids who were just like, what's the point of this? And so starting with that interest and starting with, well, what do you actually care about? And how could we explore that through coding and computer science? And when the principal and assistant principal would come into my room, they'd be like, how did you get them to like actually do work? And it's like, well, we started with what they care about. What do you feel is holding back educators or the field? What could we actually do about it? To be honest, I think there is still this gray area in regards to what computer science is and what computer science isn't. For example, like here in South Carolina, like one of the things is like on my to-do list, like adopting like a universal like definition of actually what like computer science is. And then also making sure that they understand that like computer science is number one, like not going anywhere. And computer science is like intertwined in so many things. So I think that also comes with that like exposure piece. When you think about like computer science, because everybody just thinks, oh, everybody's just coding, coding, coding. But yeah, computer science, even though people are coding, Computer science is based on the back end of a lot of these like real world problems that we're having. So before, you know, you did it this way, but because of now computer science, now you're able to do, you know, X, Y, and Z and all those different things. So, so when I was reading your CST Equity Fellows bio, I saw that you had a near favorite quote of yours. And so the quote is, you can be what you can't see. So I'm curious, why is that one of your favorite quotes? I'm a firm believer of that because it's hard sometimes, like depending on like where kids like grow up or where you're exposed to, for them to like reach for the stars if you don't have like that champion or have somebody to, you know, look up to that looks like you or you can relate to. So I think for me, like that was another reason why I went into education because like you always hear, oh, well, there's not a lot of African-American men that are pursuing teaching. Or when you're looking at the minority numbers, the minority numbers to get kids to computer science and engineering, they suck, but nobody ever talks about, like you can give the kids resources, 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 but if they don't have someone that they can relate to that, you know, has some of the same struggles or they can really, you know, hang on to, the numbers are still going to stay the same. So it's all about that positive role model. Because like I said, I was going to basketball games, football games, chess, cross. I was going to everything. Even when I was coaching track, I'm a little older than the kids. I may not run, you know, all the 400s with you, but I'll still get out there and, you know, run a few with you. Because then over the years, like kids will be like, oh yeah, well in practice, like Mr. Sanders, oh, he's going to push us because when we're at the meet, that's the mind frame that we have. Like if, if Mr. Sanders catches us, it doesn't count. If I do bad thing, Mr. Sanders is going to be like, oh yeah, that didn't count. That didn't count. So running again, that's all about, you know, just like that exposure piece and just being like that positive role model. I think that goes a long way when you have somebody, hey, I do actually know an engineer. I actually do know a computer scientist. Or I actually do know a doctor or a lawyer. So 
Yeah, so it gets especially complicated when we think about the various intersectionalities and whatnot. So I'm curious, how does that quote kind of inform your own approach in CS education? By now, it's just really like just embedded in my brain. So when I'm making those decisions, I'm thinking about like all the students. And then I also love the quote, like I'm as strong as my weakest link. So making sure that like, hey, now that I'm in this supervisor role, this county may have all the resources. But if this county doesn't have, you know, resources to get them over the finish line, the chain is still broke. That's kind of how I, you know, approach things. Like even when I'm talking like different like curriculum providers, hey, I know you're sure very aware of this like pandemic. So how accessible is your curriculum on a smartphone? It doesn't have to be the best, but I know that some kids do not have internet. All they do is have a cell phone. So can they still access it on, you know, a mobile phone or stuff like that? So I try to think of everything as this holistic approach. I also have like pictures on my desk of like different students that I've met over the years. And that also kind of keeps me like in that mind frame because I've worked at schools where kids were taking a bus to get to school and it wasn't like the regular bus. They're actually taking like the city bus. They're coming 40 and 50 minutes, you know, just to get to school, then take another 40, 50 minutes just to get home. So how can I make computer science equitable for this child? How can I make it equitable for this person? How can I make it equitable for the individuals in the rural areas? How can I make it equitable for the individuals that are at schools that really want to learn computer science, but unfortunately their school doesn't have all the resources. So what am I going to do to make sure that those kids still have a fair chance at pursuing just computer science education as a whole? So how did that lead to founding the Exposure STEM? Again, just tying back to the lack of African-American males in like the school system and then like computer science. So I knew that I was only one person. And then, of course, being in the school setting, you all know that there are different like, I guess, like do's and don'ts, like rules and regulations as far as like curriculum and how things need to be taught and things that you have to get done in the school year. So like starting that was like my way of kind of like removing that boundary and trying to reach as many students as I possibly could. If you were to give like the elevator pitch, what is Exposure STEM? So it's a STEM-based nonprofit, and it's just to equip, empower, and expose underserved students to pursue fields of STEM. And through your experiences, like working through Exposure STEM, how has that kind of informed your own understandings of CS education? I feel like it's helped me understand more on like the needs and like the needs of the students and also like the needs of like parents, because a lot of parents know that computer science is here, but they don't know like, how do I get my kid connected? Not only do you have to get the kid connected, how can you also support the parent in order to get the kid connected? Because again, like parents know that like computer science and engineering is here, but like we're not taking up the time to say, hey, this is what it is. These are the different languages. These are the different resources that we have. These are the different scholarship opportunities. It helps because, of course, even though there are teachers, you also want to get that parent buy-in because that parent buy-in is, you know, crucial as well, too, to make sure that you're getting those desired results that you want to achieve. Yeah, and having that ability to speak to somebody who can, like, guide in some way, like, that was something that I had seen missing for a lot of students. Like, hey, if you really want to be able to do A, B, or C, you need to take a look at the steps X, Y, and Z in order to get there. And just having somebody who's been there done that is very beneficial. So I'm curious, with your new position as the CS State Supervisor for South Carolina, like how do you hope to impact students and teachers in South Carolina? 
So I'm actually working on that. Now, I know one big piece is professional development in regards to the teachers, uh, making sure that they feel supported in computer science. So like my slogan is actually CS is key. And then, of course, we have the CS for SC, but like the key actually stands for like Kindle equity in you. So like when you think of like Kindle, my goal is to, of course, it's not like the Amazon Kindle, but I know when people hear that word, that's the first thing that comes up. But just like kindling like that spark that you will understand like what computer science is and like how computer science can make your life easier. So my goal is to try to kindle that spark earlier. So of course, hey, kindergarten, you know, all the way up, making sure that everybody is exposed to that kindling piece. And then the E stands for like equity. We all know about, you know, just making sure that we're making curriculum and decisions that are equitable for all. And then the U is, that's just my way of saying, like, even though I'm the state supervisor, this is getting everyone across the finish line, getting computer science out there. This is not just a Dominic initiative. It's going to take all of us. So the parents, the teachers, the students, the custodians, the billboards, our community partners, the government, it's going to take all of us if we really want to produce these numbers here in South Carolina. So it's not just a, oh, yeah, hey, this is no, this is not my, it's all of us. Yes. Yeah, so I recently read a KPOR CSTA joint report on like the status of CS teachers across the nation. And so one of the interesting stats, I forget what it was, but it was like maybe 40-ish percent of teachers didn't believe that we needed to talk about equity in CS classes. So I'm happy to hear that it's a large part of the three pieces that you're talking about. I'm wondering what recommendations could you give to CS educators around equity and inclusion? If they haven't checked out anything that the KPOR Center is doing, I read a lot of their findings. Um, they're very informative. And then also, if you aren't involved with CSTA, make sure you get involved with CSTA. CSTA, they are amazing. I'm not saying that just because I'm an equity fellow for them, but they have so many different PDs. Probably like every two weeks, it seems like, but they're always putting on different events to help you understand the purpose of equity, whether you feel like you're an equity champion or don't know anything about equity. They have different workshops to help you navigate that journey. And then even if you just want curriculum help or, you know, just how to be a better computer science teacher. And of course, you also get a chance to interact and network with other CS teachers, which is so beneficial because like I said, I was a former computer science classroom. So unfortunately, there are a lot of PD sessions that happen throughout the school year that CS teachers or just CTE teachers in general have to go to. And you're like, why am I in here? Like, this doesn't pertain to anything relevant to my classroom. So yeah, CSTA, they do a very good job of like, you're able to meet other teachers. And you're like, oh, I may only be the only CS teacher in my school or my network, but I'm not alone because this is the same feature that somebody in California is having, same thing somebody in Oakland is having. So it's not just me thinking, you know, I'm crazy or I'm just on the island. It's other teachers that are going through what you're going through or have already went through it. And hey, you don't have to go through it by yourself. These are different resources that I use to get over it and make it work. So Yeah, and so you mentioned the Equity in Action fellows. So at the summit, I believe you were, if I remember correctly, engaging in an interview with Kamal Bob. Mm-hmm. And so you were a big part of the summit itself. So if people haven't been to it, I highly recommend it. It was really good. But I'm curious, how did you get involved with the summit being a fellow? So if teachers are like, okay, that sounds great, but what do I need to do in order to actually become an equity fellow? Yeah, so 
at the end, I'm sure I'll have like my LinkedIn profile and Twitter handles and all of that. But then um, just check out the CSTA equity website. I believe the applications will be going out in June. I encourage everyone to apply. To be honest, for me, I really didn't know what to expect when you're talking about like year-long professional development for like CS. Like I didn't know what to expect, but what I can tell you, it's been like life-changing just to be around so many like-minded individuals. When we do meet, it doesn't even feel like that we're meeting anymore. It's more just like a family thing. So like even when I was applying for the job here, I was like, well, I don't know if I should apply. They're like, oh no, you're going to apply. Give me the call. Like one of my good friends in there, Lily, she's like, if you need help, I will help you through the application. Then when I made it to the final round, I actually called some of the equity fellows was like, hey, this is what they're asking me to do. Who, you know, has experience with it? It's like, oh yeah, I can help you with this. And then for this part, you can get help from this person, this part. So it's been very beneficial. Then even with my transition, some of them I talk to all the time, hey, how's the boo? Do you need anything? Let me know how I can support. I know you still have, I know you're adjusting to your new job, but you also have your equity fellow commitments. If there's anything I can help you, you know, to speed up that process, let me know. So there's, they have been, like I said, a tremendous support. So again, I would encourage anyone to apply. Because like, again, for me, I was hesitant to apply just because I really didn't know what I was getting myself into, but I am very grateful that I did. That's awesome. So if you're to look ahead, like if we were to fast forward, like five years from now, and you're to think of like just a typical computer science class in South Carolina, if somebody were to walk into that class like and just observe what was going on, what do you hope that people would see, hear, or experience? Yeah, so I would hope that, number one, like it's very like student-driven learning. So like students are doing the heavy lifting and then, of course, collaboration. Also, I would love to see like curriculum that is like made for the students. So when you're walking in, if you are, from like South Carolina, or even if you're not from South Carolina, it would be like, you would be able to see different things that represent like South Carolina or represent like the different things like that the kids like. So if you go, hey, what are you working on? They could be, be able to tell you, hey, my name is John and this is my mobile app. My mobile app tracks the amount of times my favorite soccer player, you know, has hit or missed a goal, something like that. And it's like, yeah, I picked this because I love soccer. Or you go to somebody else, well, I made a baking app because, you know, I love to bake. Or somebody, hey, this is my app because I know the importance of computer science and I want to go to cosmetology school. I want to be a barber. So my app is centered around me going to barber school or something like that. So that's my goal for it. This is a generalization, but most of the teachers that I've seen who are kind of resistant to that approach tend to be older teachers and they've gone through more traditional, like everybody's doing the same thing, going at the same pace at the same time. But the way that you described it really resonates with my own practices in the classroom, what we do with boot up in our professional development, what I recommend for any educators, make it interest driven, make it so that it's basically one to one in terms of if there's 30 kids in the class, they could be working on 30 different projects. But how do you help teachers see the benefit or move away from something they may have done for many years or decades? So I always tie it back to like meeting the teacher, like where they are. I know sometimes like we throw things at them. And then of course, if you're an old teacher, sometimes that does make you kind of like fearful of what's to come. So like kind of do it in like increments of baby steps. So for example, if a school already knows that like eventually this is going to be like their next computer science teacher. So I'm just saying the next year, hey, we're going to be the new computer science teacher and they have to like completely learn it. Like start throwing like many lessons in there. So hey, once a month, I would love to see you incorporate computer science into what you're already teaching. And then that once a month, 
may turn into once every two weeks. And that once every two weeks may turn into, you know, many lessons or a, a mini unit. And then just build your way up to instead of just throwing some of those teachers that aren't comfortable with computer science. They're like, you want me to do what? Like, I don't even know how to code myself or I don't understand computer science myself. And now you want me to be like the subject matter expert on it. Like I said, just meeting the teachers where they are. Yeah, it seems like a very reasonable and scaffolded approach for like developing that ability to like facilitate multiple projects simultaneously. And I got that really from my mom because like she doesn't really like computers that much. So like when I used to have to like show her how to do things on the computer, I grew up with technology. So it's nothing for me to turn on the computer and, you know, go here, 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 here. So it'd be like, okay, mom, I understand I am moving fast. So let me slow it down for you. First day, you know, we're just going to practice on it. And then, you know, you familiarize yourself. Are you comfortable with this? All right. Now you're comfortable with going on the internet. Let me show you how to check your email. Once you figure out how to check your email, okay, this is how you're going to respond. This is what CC stands for. This is what BCC stands for. So just like different things like that. But over time, you know, now she's expert at it. So. What about for developing your own expertise? Like how do you practice or iterate on your own abilities, either as an educator or in computer science? Read. So I used to have my students do it all the time. I'm always hitting like typing in like computer science or like computer science education or like computer science K-12 and then just hit like the news tab. That's the one way I like to stay abreast on things that are happening. And then, of course, like connecting with individuals on LinkedIn. LinkedIn has been very helpful. Figure out like, okay, these are like the who's who in like computer science education. These are people you need to follow. They're always posting like different things. And of course, being a part of like different computer science organizations like CSTA, where you're doing things at your local level or at a national level. And of course, like seeking out professional development, because of course, sometimes depending on what school you're in, your school's not going to give you that professional development that you really need. So sometimes you actually do have to seek it out so that if that's you joining these different organizations, or even it could be as simple as you joining Facebook groups. I wish I would have known about, I think it's the CS educators on Facebook. That may not be right, but there's a computer science Facebook group. And they are always posting a ton of resources. And I was like, where was this when I was in my first year of teaching computer science? I was. And I was like, uh, I was doing the best I could. But then I was like, man, if I would have known, you know, that there was a Facebook group of all computer science educators, there were a lot of people in there going through the same things I went through or other people that have already went through it. And I'm trying to think of like the scope of sequence and like the computer science trajectory from a high school. Somebody else has already done those different like utilizing those different resources and again i was just out there like oh okay well so i've had the privilege of having some excellent mentors throughout my life in a variety of different areas and one of the things that has been really beneficial about that kind of relationship is they're able to see areas that are opportunities for growth that i might not be able to see when reflecting on my own or looking in the mirror so one of the hard things about being a CS educator, though, is you might be the only person in your school or in your district who really knows much about the field and knows anything in that area. So you can't really find that mentor who might be like in the room next door who can be like, hey, I think you could really work on A, B or C. And like, here are some resources to help with that. So how do you kind of find your own growth opportunities or trajectories to go down with your own personal professional development? So I feel like I'm very like in tune with myself i have like sticky notes i write sticky notes all the time and then i also always write in like my notebook so i'm a firm believer always having like goals and plans so of course i have like short term long term like three-year goals five-year goals so that's kind of like how i like assess things but like even when i was in the classroom at the end of the lesson 
like as a teacher, you pretty much know like what you did well and like where you kind of like struggled at. So then like you're just taking notes on that. Hey, I need help with leasing the task or I need help, you know, getting them across this fence. Like, I need help addressing. I felt like, you know, I talked about a conditional statements well, but maybe I didn't. And then when you see the executive data and it shows that you didn't. Okay. So then when you are like in these different Facebook groups or you do go look for mentors, hey, I need help with this. And then of course, you know, now you got the power of Zoom, you know, ways to record your lessons and let somebody else you know, listen to it and then be like, okay, yeah, this is what I did. These are the different tips that I can share with you on how this is how I release my students to task. This is how I check for misconceptions and stuff like that. Yeah, that makes sense. So education is one of the fields that has a really high burnout rate. And I'm curious how you have been able to kind of like prevent that burnout and work through the pressures and demands of working in the field of education. So I enjoy running. I'm a part of Black Men Run. There was a little group that I used to run with weekly. Again, I just moved here to South Carolina, so I'll be doing that um, shortly. I also enjoy music, but then for me, what also helps prevent like burnout, I always like think about my student. Like I said, I have like pictures of my students on the desk. So that's, I guess, always thinking about like my why, like why I signed up for this, like in the first place. I know there's going to be like challenging times and, you know, like hard trials and tribulations. But I always think about the student that, you know, looked up to me as brother, uncle, you know, dad, whatever it was, like, what would they want me to do in this situation? Think about the student that was busting 30 or 40 miles just to have a seat in my classroom, just so they can, you know, make a better opportunity for themselves and their family. I always try to like travel it back to my why. And then that kind of like keeps me grounded. And then another thing that kind of like motivates me is like my grandmother. She always talked about like the importance of education and then that like she unfortunately had to stop in like middle school. So that's always like my grounding piece to like keep going and remember that like the people before me like didn't get a chance to keep going because they had to. So like, let me make sure that I'm creating practices and policies to make sure that from kindergarten to, to, through 12th grade, if this is what you want to do, if this computer science is, you know, your path or whatever your path is in this realm is, make sure that I'm creating spaces and opportunities for you to succeed and get across the finish line. Yeah, lots of snaps for that answer. Thank you. I really appreciate that. No problem. So knowing that you're also working on your doctorate and research informs your own practices, what are some gaps in research that you really wish that there was more research on to kind of inform your own understandings or your own practices? So I think one of the biggest things, like when you're just thinking about, I love more research, which I'm sure it'll come like eventually. But then when you think about like African-American male and like STEM and like how that like piece of like exposure helps students like long-term. So maybe there's a role in my life. What role does like African-American men in like K-12 education play to students going to post-secondary? Yeah, it'd be also interesting to explore that within the different groups in K-12. So like primary versus secondary schools. And I say that because like when I was teaching in my first district at several of the schools that I was teaching at, I was the only male presenting individual who was a teacher at the school and everybody else was not. Granted, I'm non-binary, but like either way, students knew me as like Mr. O'Leary, like that's what they typically referred to me as. But then when you go into like high school, it tends to be more men who are in those situations. So it'd be interesting to see like how that compares in terms of the exposure and representation. 
what is something that you're currently working on that you could use some help with? So if there is somebody who is listening to this, they could potentially provide a solution to something that you would like some assistance with. What would that thing be? Probably the biggest thing right now is so pretty soon I'll actually be conducting like listening tours to figure out like what's been going well in the state or what hasn't been going well in the state as far as like community partners are concerned. Like, what do you think of like K-12 computer science in South Carolina looks like, even if you're on the outside. So you may not even be a partner in the state yet, but you can always come aboard. That's probably like the biggest thing as I'm developing like policies. So I know one of my jobs is also to create a state plan in regards to like what K-12 CS looks like. So giving me their feedback on different things that are maybe going on in industry or going on, you know, in different states with this. That's probably the biggest thing right now. Like I said, just a big like listening tour. So I'm all ears for, I guess, avenues or perspectives because I'm trying to bring everybody to the table again. The model is CS is key. So the kindling piece, the equity piece, and the you piece. So tying all that together to really make it this all one cohesive unit. At the end, when you think about like, in the upcoming years, like when you see like the different things that like South Carolina has done, it's not going to be like I've done that. No, we've done that. It took all of us that we've done that. Yeah, I like that. And if anyone who's listening to this at the end, we'll make sure that Dominic shares where to be able to connect with him. So what questions do you have for myself or for the field at large? Yeah. Where do you feel are the gaps in computer science education currently? There are many <laughs> from my perspective. So... We are starting to fill some of the gaps. Like when I first was introduced into computer science, it was in high school. And so it was like an AP course and it was the only course that was offered. And it was the first time they offered it my junior year. Before that, I didn't have any opportunity to do that. So one of the nice things is over the last like decade or so, it's become more common in the elementary and middle school space to have CS in there. However, one of the gaps that I'm seeing is CS is presented as a future job opportunity, and that's the majority of the discourse out there, which is great because there are many jobs, but not everyone wants to go into CS for a job. So like you could engage in CS for fun, like making your own apps or tinkering with your own hardware and software at home to be able to do whatever you want. Or like myself, I proposed to my wife by modding the game Minecraft. So I changed the code and made it so that she could go on an adventure and craft a circle of hearts, it created a box ring, and then I actually proposed in per person. That was for fun, for leisure, etc. And I think that is a gap that is often not discussed because money isn't necessarily tied to it. So if we really do think that CS is for all, but not everyone is going to get a degree in CS or pursue a career in CS, then we need to talk about, okay, well, how can you use computer science outside of just getting a job? Again, nothing wrong with getting a job in CS. I think it's amazing, wonderful opportunities. But that to me is like one of those big gaps that I don't think we're talking about enough. But then there are also many other gaps in terms of like representation. There's gaps in terms of like what kinds of courses are offered and where and when. And like that has a huge impact on students. But like that was just kind of my, my bigger discourse response. Gotcha. No, that makes complete sense. If I were to flip the question onto yourself, how would you respond to it? So yeah, I definitely agree with a lot that you said. Like some of the biggest gaps is like the access to computer science education, of course, the representation piece as well. Those are the bigger things. And then just another big piece that's like missing in it is also just like everyone won't major in computer science 
for a job. So just figuring out like if we are really true to like CS for all, like what does computer science for all like actually look like? Because we all know that all means like everyone is not going to take pick up computer science as a major, which is fine. But if it's all like figuring out the all means how does like computer science connect to you? And I think we need to do a better job basically on how it impacts you. To kind of like elaborate on the discussion on representation, how do we expand upon the current small amount of representation that is evident within the field and also take into account the different intersectionalities with it? So like there's many more combinations of various identities that are often not discussed. And we tend to focus on like broad categories in isolation rather than talking about the intersections of those categories. So for example, I'm a white individual. So that is one broad category. But I'm also a non-binary individual. And so that is a marginalized category or underrepresented. And that intersection of the two is something that could be explored more and discussed. But it's often separate. So I'm either identified as white or I'm identified as non-binary, not necessarily the combination of the two. And those are just two of many things that make up the multiplicity that is myself. So like, I'm curious, how do we kind of talk about and expand representation while taking into account that, that complexity? Yeah, so I think it all goes back to like the exposure piece. And then like when people do have like a seat at the table, like doing the best that they can to, I guess, like, Make sure others will end up, you know, like having to seat at the table. So also when you think about like the different forms and stuff, we all know we are different. But if you don't have anyone that you're willing to give a chance to have a seat at the table, then you won't know what is behind you. So it all goes back to what I was telling you earlier, like I'm as strong as my weakest link. But of course, there's going to be other African-American men behind me that want to pursue computer science but if they've never seen one if they've never heard one they won't know so like you're not giving a white non-binary the space then others won't know like you exist and like there's someone else out there that is them so yeah that makes sense so where might people go to connect with you and the organizations that you work with yeah so linkedin i'm pretty active on linkedin dominic sanders and then my twitter is one underscore D underscore Sanders. I'm not as active as I used to be on Twitter, but just bear with me because I'm still in my first 30 days of my new job. Like after I get that, you know, situated and my scheduling, I'll be a lot more active. And then from those two places, you'll be able to see like the different things that are like happening within like South Carolina, like on a national scale. Of course, I always promote like different things from like CSTA because I'm equity fellow. You'll be able to see like what's really happening in the CS world, and then we can connect from there. And with that, that concludes this week's episode of the CSK8 podcast. If you haven't been to my website yet, make sure you check out jaredleary.com. I guarantee you there's a lot of resources that you will find useful for the CS classes that you are working with, including links to the free curriculum that I create for Boot Up Professional Development, which you can find at bootuppd.org. Stay tuned next week for another Unpacking Scholarship episode and two weeks from now for another interview. I hope you're all staying safe and are having a wonderful week.